And yeah, it just felt it felt right in the moment. Hello, makers. Welcome to our studio, a brand new branch of the Making Conversation podcast, where we chat all about making the app and the act. I'm Jen, head of marketing here at Making, and my making app username is Knit Pearl. Today, I am lucky enough to have Carrie as a guest. You most likely know Carrie as the founder of Making Magazine and co-founder of the Making app. I've only known Carrie as long as I've been working with Making, but was very fortunate to finally meet in person at the start of this year when I visited the team in Boise. Hi, Carrie. Thanks so much for joining. Hey, thanks for having me here. Happy to be here. Oh, good. So I'm going to be super honest. I did have to ask you a few times to do this. <laughs> I'm a little shy. You're a little, like, you're like, conquering a fear of sorts. This is, it's I'm, good. I'm an introvert for sure. So I like to be tucked away in my little cave. This introverted extrovert is going to try and pull a little bit out of you today. So do you want to intro yourself to the listeners? My name is Carrie Bostic Hogue and my pronouns are she, her. My making username is Mattermade, and I currently live in Boise, but soon, I don't know, in a few months, I will be moving again, but that's how it goes. We are becoming, I don't know, just wayfinders or something. And A nomadic family. We're going <laughs> to go about three hours yonder outside of the city, so we're not nice. going too far, but I need the nature, so nature is calling. And I've been crafting for a long time, my whole life, really. But really, things took off with knitting. And I kind of learned from my grandmother, and then I learned from my mom, and nothing ever really stuck. But after I graduated college, I was living in New York City, and there was like this very cool knitting store in Brooklyn. I went in there, and I bought double-pointed needles and some beautiful wool yarn. I just got hooked right from that moment. And so I've been knitting, mostly knitting, but I also love to sew and embroider. I love painting and drawing and doodling and writing. And I don't know, I love it all. I really do. And when I'm not crafting, I lately I love nature walks. I love being with my girls. I have two daughters and my husband. I love reading books too. I realized like I've been because of crafting, I have been doing a lot of audiobooks, which is great too. I love that. I love the multitasking. We all do, I think. But lately I've been really called back to just being in bed with a book. There's nothing like it. So that's one of the things I like to do when I'm not knitting or all the making things. Awesome. So today we're going to be chatting about a theme that has been pulled through this month's Bright Collective. If you're new here, Bright Collective is our monthly artsy craftsy content membership. Membership helps support what we're building here at Making and this podcast, but you also get really great content delivered each month. And of course, flowers are connected to making the act of in many ways. So we're going to dive into some facts about city foraging for floral arrangements and more, how flowers and feminism intersect in art, and a little about something amazing that I accidentally ran into, the California Superbloom. Carrie, I know that you did some research on city foraging. A topic that we talk a lot about with making is utilizing supplies that you have around you. And sometimes that can be nature as well. So do you want to kind of dive into some of the research that you came upon with city foraging? Absolutely. Yeah. So I have been living in Maine 
for the last 20 years and just recently moved to Boise. So I'm now in a city again. So it's very different not being able to just go out in your backyard and snipping something or a little different anyway. So what I Mm -hmm. found was the need to, for your dues, you want to make sure you do some research and research the plants in your area so that you can identify what they are and what you might be able to use. You know, there's different reasons you would forage. Of course, for Bright Collective, I was foraging for ornamental plants, but last fall when I first got here, uh, I was definitely looking around for dye plants. But you can also forage, obviously, for edible plants. So if you're going to be consuming the plant in any way, just do the research and make sure you know what it is and mm-hmm. good for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't want anything bad to happen to anyone. <laughs> exactly. Please know what you're putting in your body. And then uh, maybe this is even the first one that you should do is respect the environment. When foraging, try to avoid damaging the environment around the plants and mm-hmm. take only what you need. Really try to avoid damaging the other plants that are surrounding the plant that you're looking for. And one little thing I like to do is actually, it's a little bit woo maybe, but I really like to ask first before I collect. And and usually it's a yes. And you just feel the sensation in your body. And so that's a kind of a nice practice for the plant to just show that you are respecting the nature and the nature around. <laughs> and yeah, so that's really important. And if you're pulling a piece of a plant from the larger plant just I actually like to use two hands and so that you're like not pulling on the plant so hard that you're tearing things and making like kind of a mess around it or you're using shears which is a nice clean cut and then I would say to look up your local laws be aware of any laws or regulations regarding foraging in your area and obtain permission if that's necessary for don'ts, the number one I would say is avoiding polluted areas. And I think there's probably a lot of pesticides and toxins along the side of highways. So Mm. I would avoid those areas. And the next one would be don't pick without permission. Do not pick plants from private property without permission Mm -hmm. from the owner. That seems kind of obvious, but got to throw that in there. We kind of already mentioned this, but don't eat unidentified plants. And don't take too much. Avoid taking more than you need, as this could have a negative impact on the plant population and other foragers who also might want to come and gather a little bit of something from that plant. Maybe that's a good way to start is to just do like a nature walk around the city or around where you live and take note of what Mm -hmm. kind of calls to you and then do research on that. Obviously, the permission thing is big. We have a rose bush on the side of the house. Mm -hmm. So as we were going through the act of purchasing the house, I would come to the house, look at the flowers outside and like obviously can't enter yet because it's not technically mine. But I would just have these moments of like pure joy and just looking at these flowers. And the day that we moved in, obviously, I was very focused on that part of it but then I like walked out to go look at the plants and somebody had clipped all of the roses off of my rose bush oh no (laughs) which is fine because a few more eventually grew that year and we get to enjoy it every year but I would say that definitely asking permission is a big thing because that can be very sad for somebody (laughs) thankfully those roses are so hardy they'll just 
come on oh, in. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, my goodness. It was something that I was really nervous about, actually. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have a rose bush. I know nothing about this. And luckily, they have been very hardy. Mostly through 2020 and 2021, my partner and I did these really long city walks. And I think, you know, if city foraging was within my brain at that moment to gather for flowers, I feel like that would have been a really good time to do research on different plants in the area. Just yeah. taking these long city walks. When we first got here to Boise, we went along. There's something called the Green Belt. So we were, did a lot of Green Belt walking, and it's along the river here. And I took note of, okay, there's some goldenrod next year. When I have more time, I want to come back and natural dye with that. I also saw a bunch of mullen, which is a great plant for herbalism. And yeah, I just took note of like where things were and how much there was and found areas that felt like they were safe to pick. They don't seem polluted in any way. I might not be in Boise, but maybe I'll come back and visit Ashley and uh, go along the green belt in the fall so I can harvest some of that. Yeah. And one thing I would like to also note, you should look up in your local library if there's any books, because I did. And unfortunately, they were checked out, but I'm on the list for one. And it was called Urban Foraging. Yeah, just nice. that might be a good resource for you. And if you are foraging edible food, then you could check out the Black Forager. She's on social media and she's fascinating, she's super fun and very knowledgeable and could be a huge resource for you. I know she does mushrooms and seaweeds, so pretty interesting. And then she cooks with it too. So uh, I her love too. her content. While we're talking about foraging and foraging for floral arrangements. Give everyone a taste of what's coming up in Bright Collective. Yes. Two stories in particular. One is by you, which is beautiful. <laughs> and then a really, just a really fun little project on bringing plant life into your home and creating just some simple springtime arrangements. And we use some thrifted vases and just had a really, a really good time putting those together for you. One more project that has some inspiration from flowers. It's called the Petal Vest. It's a crochet vest by Natalie McKay. It is so adorable. It's so great. And I think you'll all love it. I'm so excited about that. As I've said on this podcast before, I've only crocheted one thing before, a pillow that says butts. But this will hopefully be my second thing because I really yeah. want to wear this vest. It's very cool. <laughs> I should really learn how to crochet. I can do like the single crochet, but yeah, I know. I don't know how to do it. I think actually Imogen, my older daughter, really wants to learn. So maybe we'll do it together. That'd be like a fun little mother-daughter learning adventure. And maybe, oh my gosh, maybe we should make the pedal vest for her. She would be so cute in it. Oh yeah. Now that I'm talking about things that I will be working on eventually, let's talk about what we're working on right now. Carrie, what's your project right now or projects or what's the creativity in your life? I am starting on writing a little bit. So I'm doing some book writing. But for the crafting, I I am still really driven to create my own wardrobe. And so there are some days where I'm like, I'm not far enough along and I feel like way behind and I want to set some deadlines and start crunching. And then other days I'm like, it can just take some time. It doesn't have to be such a rush. So I just plugging away at that. I'm starting a sewn blouse. I don't know. Or top. I don't know if people do you even use that word blouse anymore. I don't know. 
It Probably. is. Yeah, sure. And mm-hmm. I forget who wrote the pattern or made the pattern, but it's just super simple. And I, of course, always like to complicate things because I was I just bought some muslin. And then I thought, no, I should just natural dye the muslin. So it's going to be more fun to sew the sample. So I've done the cutting of the fabric and I did the matter dyeing. And now it's up to me to do some ironing and to do some sewing, just trying to carve out some time. That's always the issue. But oh, yeah. yeah, so <laughs> sewing top, knitting um, a joy jacket, which is a project from, I think, October. I forget, maybe the third Bright Collective issue. And I'm working with an indigo dyed yarn. So I'm having fun with that. And I really want to sew some pants. I don't know. I really... I feel like that's probably going to be the next thing. I love doing watercolors. I love just having my sketchbook and my journal around always. And, you know, I have ambitions to do like a daily practice of embroidery. When you have two kids and work and all that, daily practice maybe is not necessarily realistic. It feels like too much pressure, but I think I could go on a maybe a monthly journey with that. So that's on my to-do list. One of the things that I have been thinking about with embroidery is, and maybe this is dream it up for next year. I see these people who create embroidery that are the circle. And then there's like pie slices, Mm -hmm. like basically drawn out. And every pie slice has a month of the year. And then people go in and embroider little things that happened in each month. That's so cool. It is so cool. I need to find an example of it and maybe post it. I know somebody has posted something like that on the feed before, but it is so inspiring. And it's like, maybe after a few more embroidery kits that I work on, I'll feel confident enough to do something like that. But they're just so neat. It's like a little story in a hoop. (laughs) Using textiles instead of words. I love it. Using Yeah. That's amazing. I love that idea. Yeah. Speaking of embroidery and an embroidery kit, that is what I have been working on. I talked about this a little bit on the last two episodes, but I brought the embroidery kit that I bought from Stitch Happy on the app. I didn't buy it on the app because the marketplace is still in beta. Eventually, people will be able to sell supplies and finished goods once we move into Marketplace 2.0. But it's my first embroidery project, as I've said, and I'm really like being so precious with every stitch. (laughs) It reminds me of when I first started knitting and I was like, every time that I would make a mistake, it would be like the world was falling apart and it was a disaster. And now I'm like, "Eh, there's a mistake, whatever. It makes it unique. But it's been super fun. And I'm using the stitches that I learned from an embroidery class that I took on the app. And also Stitch Happy has a little like booklet in the kits and it explains how to do it. So it's like a good reminder, but I'm just really enjoying it. And then as you talked about, I wrote a little essay that's going to be in this month's Bright Collective. And it's about the accidental stumbling upon the California Superbloom on our recent road trip. And I used to write a little bit more for like non-work related things, but it's been a while. So that was a really fun experience to kind of write all of that out and be like, oh, yeah, I am good at this. <laughs> you are. It's so natural and it's so wonderful. Thank I'm, you. Yeah. I know everyone's going to have a good time. Oh, I hope so. about it. Yeah. That was really fun. But we'll talk more about the Super Bloom in a little bit. Oh, yeah. And I am watching 
only murders in the building. I've already seen it, but I'm watching it again because I really enjoyed it so much. I used to really love murder mysteries and every BBC murder mystery, all of them, like all of the series. But after having children, I could not do that anymore. I just could not put my mind in that dark, scary place. But Only Murders in the Building is like the perfect thing for me right now because it still has a little bit of that puzzle. I love the puzzle of it. Like I'm always really good at figuring out who it is. I didn't, I could not get this one. I did just definitely did not call that one. Did you watch it? Have you seen it? Yes, we have watched it through. And it's one of those where once you start, you literally cannot stop. I first started watching it in New York City, which was really fun. I think we even walked around a lot of the areas that they were filming and stuff. It was really cool to watch it in New York. But then also even when I got home, I definitely binged the rest of the season. And then season two came out and it was just as funny. And I'm excited for the next one. Selena Gomez, gosh, you're smart and styly and funny but she can totally stand up against the two two martins she really has her own flair it's amazing yes i have really enjoyed their relationship on screen and i love the fact that knitting is brought into that show too oh yes well <laughs> yes anyway <laughs> but also art i love the the mural that she creates and yeah so it's, yes it's such a good show and while I've been working on my embroidery project, I've been rewatching and then starting the new season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I haven't seen that one in a long time, but that's a good one. It's so good. I really enjoy everything about it. It feels very empowering and also like a reminder of how far we've come in certain ways with a lot of different things, but mm -hmm. we still have a way to go. On top of it all, it's very entertaining and She's hilarious, and everybody is just like such a star. And I've really yeah. been enjoying the new great season, costumes so. and art direction. Yeah. So good. Every month, Bright Collective members come together and enjoy special events. And one of those is Art Hour. The Making App is really built on this idea that most makers are multicraftable, right? Leaning into other forms of creating that isn't just fiber art is just feels so important. I think as, especially as somebody who started mostly as a knitter and has brought these other things in, it just feels like very powerful when you pick up a different medium that isn't fiber art. So we definitely invite everyone to take a break and use your creativity and create beauty in other ways. We have this art hour that Bright Collective members are invited to every month. I haven't been able to join one yet, unfortunately, because of my schedule. Carrie, do you want to speak to our hour with Bright Collective and what people should expect and what's happened so far? Definitely. Art hour, we've had two now, I believe. We're going to be having another one next month. It seems like it's been a really probably the most popular gathering we've had within the Bright Collective community. And Ashley has led the last two, and I think she'll lead the next one. And it's just a great way to all come together, first of all and share some space and artists and makers of all levels. So if you're a beginner, if you have been practicing for years, you're all, everyone is welcome and everyone can get a little something out of it. Just being able to create, ignite your creativity, play around with color. Each thing is very accessible to, to like I said, to all different ranges. And yeah. And last time we made this really cool collage using paper art. It's a lot of it's bringing in different mediums and playing around with color, but just really, I think it does help 
to have something outside of fiber arts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just to, to light up that inspiration and to hone your style and really bring your authenticity out in other ways. And I think that can just feed right into textiles as well. It's fun. It's a really good time. I hope more people will come next month and join us. Yes. The event will be up on the making app under classes, but you have to be a Bright Collective member to join. So if this sounds fun and you want to test the waters and become a Bright Collective member for this month, just head to makingzine.com and you'll see the link to join there. It's so much more than just this event, though. There's so much delivered as a Bright Collective member. We hope you'll check it out. I am excited to start joining the art hours. Like I said, sadly, I haven't had the chance, but I it's been really cool to see the, I don't know, aftermath is not the right word, but that's the thing that came to mind for some reason of what happens after these art hours and people posting in the making out feed and just how things evolve. And you see everybody making like multiple pieces of the theme of the art hour and posting it. to the. It's just been so cool. Yeah, it's fun, I think, a lot for the beginners, too, because you realize you have like certain fears about doing things wrong or not looking good. And it's really about breaking that up and just being like, it doesn't matter. It's just about having a good time and playing. And, and it's like a little playground of creativity. You, just, you don't have to take it seriously. And it's just very casual, which is super nice. As we've talked about, there's a theme to this podcast, and it also runs through this month's Bright Collective. So as we talked about Art Hour and flowers, I wanted to do a little research on how flowers have been used in art and the representation that they have there. So, of course, that brought me into learning more about how flowers in art intersects with feminism. So I just want to be very clear. I am not an art history major by any means, but I do really enjoy researching and learning And also going into this research, I thought it was going to go a certain way and then it took me into a different direction, but it's all really good. So I hope that this is interesting for everyone. (laughs) First, I started out looking at like flowers linked to certain artists and the American Impressionist painter Mary Cassatt often depicted women with flowers in her paintings. Her use of flowers was seen as a way to celebrate the beauty and grace of women, as well as to challenge traditional notions of femininity. Cassatt was an advocate for women's rights in the early 20th century and used her art to support the women's suffragette movement, particularly in her painting titled Woman with a Sunflower. So from the Halifax Public Library's website, Mary Cassatt was born in 1844 in the United States and died in 1926 in France. She enrolled in the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts in Philadelphia between 1860 and 1864. She used her paintings to express the women's ability to stand alone in society and unveiled the tragedy and beauty of their lives in the 19th century. Something interesting that I found on NGA.gov. Women with a Sunflower was among the 20 or so paintings by Cassatt included in a 1915 exhibition to raise money for the suffrage campaign. Nikki Georgopoulos talks about how the painting was long named Mother and Child when hung in galleries, but the actual name all along was Women with a Sunflower, which I thought was interesting. I'm going to guess that a man probably changed it somewhere along the way. Nikki goes on to say, as I was researching this painting for my doctoral dissertation, I became captivated by the sunflower, a radiant focal point in Cassatt's composition. While scholars before me had dismissed it as merely a pretty decoration, my research revealed that it bore a powerful political message. 
1867, while Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony were campaigning for the right to vote in Kansas, they used the state's flower, the sunflower, as part of imagery on their buttons and pins. So from there, it became part of the movement across the country. And Nikki writes, by the time Cassatt painted Woman with a Flower around 1905, sunflowers had appeared on all kinds of official and promotional suffrage materials, such as a button emblazed with the phrase, we want to vote for president in 1904. Uh, while many women were fighting hard for their right to vote, we also need to bring up that it was not equal for everybody. Many of the mainstream organizations did not equally address the challenges faced by Black women during this time, so many Black women broke off and created organizations specific to the issues they faced. From NPS.gov in Boston, Black reformers like Josephine St. Pierre Ruffin and Charlotte Fortin Grimke founded the National Association of Colored Women in 1896, and during their meetings at the Charles Street Meeting House, members discussed ways of attaining civil rights and women's suffrage. The NACW's motto, Lifting as We Climb, reflected the organization's goal to uplift the status of Black women. In 1913, Ida B. Wells founded the Alpha Suffrage Club of Chicago, the nation's first black women's club focused specifically on suffrage. And now, of course, we can't talk about all of this without nodding to the importance of Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth was one of the most famous advocates for human rights in the 19th century and delivered the speech, Ain't I a Woman, which is now known as one of the most important abolitionist and women's rights speeches in American history. From PBS.org, during the Civil War, Sojourner Truth took up the issue of women's suffrage. She was befriended by Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, but disagreed with them on many issues, most notably Stanton's threat that she would not support the Black vote if women were denied it. Although she remained supportive of women's suffrage throughout her life, Truth distanced herself from the increasingly racist language of the women's groups. She's often seen with knitting in her lap in photos and also in the newly unveiled Women's Rights Pioneers Monument located in Central Park. The other two women forever represented in bronze in this monument are Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. I found that to be interesting that they chose to put them all together. Connecting, seeing Sojourner Truth knitting in so many photos and even in this bronze statue, I dove into that a little bit. and. I found a wonderful article by Tobe Hermanson. It's called Knitting as Descent, Female Resistance in America Since the Revolutionary War. And Hermanson wrote, during the Civil War, in the fall of 1864, Sojourner Truth traveled to refugee camps of freed people where she demonstrated sewing, knitting, and cooking to teach people skills that might allow them to be financially independent. So that's where I went with that. I started with the painting in the beginning. Wow. Yes. I started researching how, like I said, flowers were used in art as a representation of feminism. And then, of course, Mary Cassatt came up and then that just led me like, down that mm. whole path. So I think that's really interesting. I like it. It was really fun to to go down that path. Thank you like, for coming I'm with me. Going. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Just pulling back the pedals, if you will. I love it. Of course, there is so much more we could dive into when it comes to flowers linked to feminism and art. And we have to talk about Frida Kahlo. 
A really great article that I found was called How Frida Kahlo Broke All Conventions and Shaped Feminism by P.Y. Chiang. And from that, I pulled this out because I just love how it represents Frida in just a few paragraphs. Despite the harsh gender inequality of the 1900s, Kahlo was honest about being a woman. And that is what puts her even now at the forefront of being a feminist. Never once did she hide, cower, or expect to be shielded from the harsh realities of her life. She refused to alter her features. This included her monobrow and her faint mustache, which were labeled as inappropriately, quote-unquote, masculine. She even exaggerated them more in her self-portraits. Nevertheless, Kala was not afraid to be herself, a woman. She embraced colors, wearing bright and bold dresses, as well as not thinking twice about adorning herself with flowers and ribbons. Her paintings touched on feminine issues such as abortion, miscarriage, birth, breastfeeding, and much more. These were things considered to be strictly taboo and never spoken of at all in public back then. Kahlo was also open about her sexuality. She was never ashamed to admit that she was bisexual, nor did she ever feel the need to apologize for her choice of partners. One of the quotes that I saw that Frida said was, I paint flowers so they will not die, which I absolutely loved. Frida often included flowers in her self-portraits and other works as a way to explore themes of femininity, sexuality, and mortality. So another example is the artist Simone Lee, whose sculptures and installations often incorporate floral motifs as a way to explore themes of identity and community. Her work, The Waiting Room, features ceramic vases adorned with flowers, and this piece is supposed to address the lack of care the medical field often shows when it comes to Black women. Let's jump back into the making app and talk about what we saw this week that was eye-catching or inspirational. Yeah. So I was just on there this morning and I saw a post by a user named Dear Virginia, and she's been on the app for a while now. We love, love Virginia. her work. She does amazing artwork and painting, drawing, but she had a post, I think it was from yesterday or recently, where she made a paint palette out of clay. And it's so beautiful. I just love the photograph and just love what she wrote about it. So that really caught my eye. I mean, there's so many amazing artists on the app, but she really stood out for me. And also, did you see, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, but Dimensional Weaving was on there and posted a picture of, did you already talk about this? I don't think so. No, we didn't talk about it, but I know what you're about to say. <laughs> oh my word. It's like a feast made out of felts for all. Yeah. Hey, I don't know if she needle felts or how she creates them. I'm guessing needle felt, but so. it's incredible. She had this whole spread of food and it's just like this cheese plate with crackers and olives and radishes. It's so beautiful. And so again, that was dimensional weaving. Always impressed by Look her up. Yeah. both of those makers, what they post. We we appreciate both of them very much. I think that this person just joined. They posted a crocheted skirt and the mix of yarn weights and color is so creative and cool. It's just very different than anything that I feel like I've seen, which is really wonderful. Their name is Naomi and their handle is at Nona, N-O-N-A. Very cool. And then... Another thing that I saw the other day was in the services part of the marketplace. So if you're unaware, we launched a marketplace in our app. But not only can you sell PDF patterns, books, et cetera, but you can list services. 
And I noticed pattern digitizing from Gentle Clothing, who is Karen LePage. Karen has also been around for quite a while in the making app. And I've never designed a pattern, but I assume that this would be super helpful. Karen will digitize your pattern into an Adobe Illustrator vector file and format for copy shop printing. So you will always have a reference file of your personal pattern to reuse and modify for future projects. That's so cool. She's so great. We love Karen. Also, really cool classes coming up. The ever popular Quilt As You Go with Found Fabrics with Amanda is coming up on May 6th. I'm sure that Amanda will do more classes because that's definitely been a repeat because it's been so popular. And every time after they teach that class, people are just posting all of their makes and it's so creative and interesting. I know. I want to take that class. looks so fun. And then also Yarrow making a small quilt for tarot ritual and intentions. So it's called Soft Spells and Yarrow is going to be teaching that class. And we love Yarrow. There's also great Barbie is teaching some hand quilting. There's a lot of like sewing and quilting right now in the app and classes. I know that we are in communication with some other teachers that are wanting to teach, but definitely check out the classes in the making app. I know a few more are about to be added. We are going to be most likely taking a little bit of a summer break with classes for July and August, just because I've noticed that things slow down a little bit when it comes to attendance in our classes because everyone's wanting to be outside and not in front of a computer. If you are interested in teaching, you can go to themakingapp.com backslash teach and find out more information there. But we will be resuming classes in September and classes will be posted through June. We can all take a break. We can take a break. They can take a break. Let's have some summer fun. And then we'll get back to making in the fall. <laughs> oh, it's so cozy. After being in Palm Springs for a week and with the warmth, like, I didn't pick up my project for <laughs> And it just made me, it made me, it was like a good reminder. Let's try and find some stuff that we can definitely continue to work on through the summer because I think that's yeah. something that I struggle with. For sure. Definitely. I know. I usually take definitely unintended breaks in the summer. I always have some little knitting project that isn't too heavy usually, but maybe I should start thinking about that now. That's a good point. A summer of socks. (laughs) Sock knitting. Gosh, I haven't knitted socks in so long. That's a good idea. So we did talk a little bit about my run-in with the California Super Blooms. So in most of the volumes of the Bright Collective e-zines, we share special visual moments with a photo essay. And as we talked about before, my run-in with the Super Blooms became a last-minute addition to this volume in a way. (laughs) (laughs) So my partner and I were driving to Palm Springs, and after driving for many hours, turned onto this two-lane highway and it was just an explosion of orange all around us and it was so shocking but so magical the photos that will be in the easy we snapped from that but I also wanted to talk about it a little bit because the California super bloom like doesn't happen every year and it's a moment that only happens when like all of the desert magic aligns I wanted to do a little bit more research as I do because I think that's something that I'm like if something random especially on road trips like if we pass a sign or if we see something in the distance 
and we don't know anything about it, I will literally pull out my phone and just like Google as much as I can. When it comes to super blooms, I found a good article in the Washington Post. They interviewed Naomi Fraga, director of conservation programs at the California Botanic Garden. So super bloom is not a scientific term, but the last time that it occurred was in 2019, which is wild. Naomi says they're winter annuals and they respond to winter rain. So it is really having the bulk of the rain come in the winter months that leads to this. Cooler temperatures is also an important ingredient for the super blooms. When the seed bank in the soil experiences this sort of range of temperatures and precipitation across time, then it has the ability to stimulate several different species to germinate, and that creates the colorful landscape. The super blooms only last for a few months. The droughts of the last few years have actually helped with this super bloom. Basically, what it did is it reduced the number of invasive grass seeds on the landscape and helped improve the chances of the native plants to thrive with this like heavy rain and snow that California has seen. So if you're lucky enough to visit the super blooms, first of all, do it soon because they're not going to be around much longer, but definitely be very careful. You don't want to trample the flowers, not only because it's just plain rude to the beautiful flowers, but you also could squash the bloom before it produces seeds. And that there could also be a negative effect on the soil. So if you're going out, definitely don't like venture too far in, be super careful, respect mother nature, you know? And I thought it was very cool too, because after we had been there, a bunch of articles kept popping up and there were a lot of time-lapse videos from space that you could see the super blooms being created. And they're so big that they can be seen from space. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I was literally standing there in the road next to it. (laughs) So definitely look that up. I want to get in the car and drive to California right now. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. That color. It's just incredible. Yeah, it was the desert magic was just delivering. It was wonderful Mm. that we happened upon it. As we do, it is time for our weekly moment of gratitude. If you'd also like to share yours, Post it in the making app feed with the hashtag making conversation. All right, Carrie, what are you grateful for this week? Oh, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for Jen because she does so much at making. She's just such a joy and really brings so much vibrancy and life to making. And we all love you. And I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for having me here. And I also am grateful for just springtime. I really am. I'm grateful for the warmer days and the longer days and the, this like new fresh energy that is coming in. Yes. Yeah. What are you grateful for? I am super grateful for working for a startup that really values work-life balance. I feel like I am really embodied that over the last few weeks. I love it. I would work in the morning and pool in the afternoon or I would work one day and then take the next day off. And as long as I was getting my stuff done, no questions are asked. I think that that's something I feel like a lot of companies should start embracing. We're not, I don't know, I could go into capitalism and working more than 40 hours a week and working to survive and all of that, but I won't. I just think that there is a way of balance within working and doing what you love, and then also outside of working and doing what you love that a lot more places could embrace. And I think people would be a lot happier. 100%. Yeah, I agree. 
That's great. If you are interested in becoming a Bright Collective member and supporting everything that we do here at Making, including this podcast, head to makingzine.com and become a member there. To join the amazing community of makers in the Making app, head to themakingapp.com to download and sign up or head to your favorite app store and search Making. You can listen to the Making Conversation podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, we'd love for you to subscribe and share with your friends. But also, did you know that you can listen to the Making Conversation podcast in the Making app? Open up the Making app and click Discover. Scroll down to Podcasts and you'll see all current and past podcasts listed there. You can listen while you scroll the feed, post details in a project, search through the marketplace, or even just have it out while you're working on your favorite whip. If you've made it this far and you're interested in sponsoring Making Conversation, send us a note at hq at makingco.com and we'll be in touch. As always, thanks for listening and we'll see you in the Making app.